Just give me a sec. Just give me a sec to breathe and really understand my aura right now. Because okay. it's going to fly into this. I've got so much bursting out of my brain that I just want to make sure that I gather my thoughts before we crack on. It's a lot happening. You're so full of shit. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as the pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget. When my eyebrow goes up, it's a joke. Police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Sip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome to the Iron Duke Podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy, politics, where we go through our picks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from New Zealand and around the world. I'm Byron Terrace and I'm joined by Senior Consultant, Maddie Burgess-Smith. Kia ora, Maddie. Kia ora, Byron. Great to be back with you. Hey, look, big episode today. We're going to run you through the jib crisis. We're going to go over uh, the PM Ardern's trip to NATO. We've also got some stuff on immigration and fisheries. And lastly, we'll, we'll have a recap of the by-election. Byron, kick us off. What's your peak of the week, mate? My peak of the week is Jacinda Ardern heading over to Madrid in Spain, España, for the NATO summit. The first ever New Zealand leader to turn up at the NATO summit to speak. It can't really be overstated because New Zealand, not technically part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation because we are not in the North Atlantic, which is fair. However, we are a global partner. We were involved with the NATO operations in Afghanistan and around the world. And of course, the big issue facing NATO right now is an existential crisis, the big Russian bear invading Ukraine and what they are doing in response. So this summit in Madrid will also have President Zelensky from Ukraine in attendance, which is a non-NATO member turning up. And the future of it is under threat. So Jacinda Ardern being there, being able to contribute to that discussion and being part of it, that's massive because that's our role in the geopolitical strategic situation. Well, it's really interesting when you look at the optics of it because Ardern has chosen to go there instead of going to Chogham, the Commonwealth Heads of Government oh, meeting. Oh, that's a name in it, Chogham. Chogham. Yeah, Sounds man. like something got something stuck in your throat. Chogham block, there's lots of she them She has instead chosen to send Minister Nanaima Huta. She really wants to be at this kind of big worldly meeting where the powers that be of the West are getting together to talk about the future of Western democracy. It's like a Saturday night when you put a party on and one of your mates has also got a party and then... You choose the better party, You right? choose the better party and yeah. that's what she's done. She's a popular gal. Yeah, I've chosen the better party in the defence of liberal democracy. I would too. Mm. What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week. Now, imagine this. It's a Monday night and you're sitting in your lounge and the phone rings and um, it's it's the Honourable Megan Woods and she says, Byron, I've got the opportunity of a lifetime. I want you to join me on the plaster board working board. task force. The plaster board board. Can you imagine that? That's my peak of the week. It's the end of the jib crisis as we know it through a plaster board board. Yeah, nice. Basically. Yeah, good. So a bit of a plasterboard crisis 101. Yep. Obviously, we've seen that across a lot of headlines lately. The reason that was caused, multiple reasons. Everyone wants to build something because we don't have any international travel, so we're spending all of our money on renos. And at the same time, we had this lockdown that wasn't particularly targeted, and it shut down Windstone Wallboard, which is owned by Fletcher Building, which creates 94% of all of New Zealand's plasterboard, so we just don't have enough of it, Right. I like that the solution to the plasterboard problem is the plasterboard board. Oh, it's really good. Just goes to show just the lack of sophistication of this government. What the actual challenge is, is when you go to build a house, the default product that is approved by councils is JIP. So rather than saying we approve plasterboard, they've said we approve this product provided by Fletcher Building that Fletcher Building cannot produce. Keep in mind, 
plenty of other people in the world are creating all sorts of different plasterboards. Ultimately, has led to a lot of naughty behaviour. So we've seen Fletcher Building, they're in trouble, they've been stockpiling the stuff. And then we've seen people stealing it off construction sites. We've seen people scalping the stuff on training. Excited to see what the Commerce Commission's report into building supplies tells us, but I think it will say that, well, we, we, we don't think very smart about our standards. Yeah. Easy fixes here. Yeah. That's my peak of the week. My pit of the week is how the labour shortage in the fisheries sector has got no creative solutions. In particular, there's a classic example where there were 500 RSE workers, recognised seasonal employers, who were there for the fruit picking season. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They picked all the fruit, they finished their jobs early, and they still had a few months to go on their New Zealand work visa. And so the fishing sector said, well, could we have those people and give them gainful employment for the next three months? Instead, they got deported by officials. Yeah, nice. Instead of giving them gainful employment in an area that is facing acute labour shortages, crying out for workers, they were instead just deported. Go home. Are these people shucking muscles? Are they on boats? Is it a workplace safety issue here? Take your pick. It's everything. It's land-based processing. It's ship work. It's um, you know seaman work. It's all that kind of stuff. <laughs> sea person work. And I think the fishing sector has missed out here. So some of the officials <laughs> gave a plethora of reasons. Oh, we can't set a precedent for this. Oh, you know, RSC workers can't do anything. That's not fruit or grapes and shit. Oh, there aren't many flights to the island. So, <laughs> oh, we don't want them to maybe have to stay a bit longer than their visa. And it was do just... Do meaningful work. Yeah, and then the minister longer. at the time, who's since resigned, I think, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a good one for you. He said, oh, we, we didn't ask the governments of the Pacific whether these people would like to do a different job. I'm sorry. If these are, they, pe- are they for? If these people would like to do a different job, there's no one forcing them into another sector. They should at least have the option if their work visa allows yeah. them to remain in this country and address some productivity and skills shortages. But no, the great minds sitting here in our capital city decided to essentially deport these people Without giving them another opportunity. And I can't imagine there are too many jobs in Vanuatu paying 40 bucks an hour at the moment. Yeah, so there you go. That's a really sad example, and it shows a lack of creativity when dealing with labour shortages in our economy right now. Well, speaking of creativity and lack thereof, my pit of the week is the Tolonga by-election, which exhibited exactly that. So there we saw Sam Uffendell. The, the blue suit. The blue suit. Nice. And I read somewhere that a blue rosette on a trash can could have won that election for the Nats. Is and it Uffendell, Uffendale, Uffendill? Only 40% of all Tauranga-ians, Tauranga-rites, Mount Monganuians, I don't know. People who live in Tauranga. People <laughs> people live in Tauranga decided to show up and actually vote in that election, which is About the same as local government elections. Yeah, it is. It, it genuinely is. And look, we saw him campaign on traditional nat lines, transport, cost of living, and just hitting home a lot of that electorate there, which is crime. He's already said he's going to put a member's bill and that means that you can't be a gang member and ride your motorcycle with other people good luck enforcing that I think more concerningly is we just saw you know nothing new out of that campaign there that was a real opportunity for both the Nats and Labour Party to really start to test some ideas test some lines see what's working how the electorate feeling about things Jan Tanetti sitting cabinet minister got mm. like 20% of the vote if I was the government I'd be pretty concerned about that except they just weren't they didn't care Ardern didn't even go to Tauranga during the by-election to show her support Doesn't matter. didn't matter someone who did get a lot of support though Sue Gray, the anti-mandate candidate. Oh, she was she at the um the protest here in the capital. She was the protest here. Oh. The woman got four point eight percent of the vote. 
Oh, yeah, but that's, you know, 4.8 or 40%, you know. It's, yeah, I know, but it's still a lot of crazies out there. It's only like 900 people, wasn't it? And if you've got another 0.2%, you know, you could potentially be an MP in our parliament. So we need to watch out for that. Not saying stamp it out, democracy's great, but let's watch out for it. Yikes. All in all, lacklustre campaign efforts there, lacklustre policy, would have liked to have seen a real contest, would have liked to have seen Winston Peters show up, rise from the ashes, give uh, that yeah, a shot. Yeah, he's been having a tough time New Zealand first in court at the moment over some, you know, small C corruption stuff, so, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, holding him back at the moment. Yep. Well, you know, uh, Uffindel campaigned on issues like crime, law and order and transport. And speaking of transport, we are joined today by the Chief Executive of Toyota New Zealand to talk about the future of transport, the future of mobility, and their role in reducing emissions. So smooth. That was that was a future of transport segue. It's nice. Well done. We are joined by Neeraj Lala, Chief Executive of Toyota New Zealand, all the way from the mighty Manawatu, Palmerston North. Neeraj, thank you so much for joining us at Iron Duke Studios. It's great, great to be here. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the top job in Toyota New Zealand. So I think next January I've been with the company for 25 years. Well, actually I didn't put my name in the hat because there wasn't a job going, but I, uh, I hassled the general manager of marketing at the time. He gave me a job in web marketing and uh, the rest is history. I think I've spent some time in most areas of the company and, and then uh, returned from the US into ch- uh, chief operating officer before uh, moving into this role uh, just before the pandemic. Brilliant, 24 years, company must be looking after you, that's fantastic. Yeah, surely a couple of good watches along the road there. (laughs) I think the highlight for me that I shared in an interview just recently is it hasn't felt like I've been with a company that long because we've got a really good culture, gives people the opportunity to move around the company if they want to. And I have to admit, in even the CEO role in the last two years, it's felt like a different job every day. So it keeps you excited and keeps you focused. Keeping an eye on the idea about differences, one of the differences with Toyota is you talk about yourself as a mobility company rather than just a traditional car company. Talk us a bit about that kind of transition into the mobility company away from the traditional idea of what a car company is. I mean, there's no hidden secret that we, you know that our, our company survives because we sell cars, you know, and that's at the core of who we are and that's the core of our business. We've also, over the past couple of decades now, been focusing on other things. We've been focused on proliferating the powertrain. We started with hybrids close to 30 years ago and we've made a commitment that we're going to invest in all powertrains and the reason for that is all countries are addressing the climate crisis at a different rate and so we need to make sure that if we're going to hold true to providing mobility for all customers and leaving no customer behind that we need to invest in all of those areas. But that still focuses on the core of our business. Electric vehicles can either be a hybrid, can either be a plug-in hybrid, a full battery electric or a hydrogen fuel cell. Mm. That's been the progression of our powertrain story, but how do you provide customers with the freedom to move? We see a future of micro-mobility as well. Think of it as a single or a two-seater pod, mm-hmm. and you might go, well, that's kind of the Jetsons, but it's a reality, and we're, we're building them now. We're on a just transition with vehicles, you know, so we're moving from hybrids to plug-ins to fully electric vehicles to fuel cell. I do believe that that is the just transition. The challenge is the timing to get there. And I feel bikes are exactly the same. Yep. You know, we've got bikes, we've got e-bikes, we've got the rise of these e-scooters. Yep. And I believe that we're moving towards single-seater micromobility, providing the fuel for an efficient city ecosystem. Nice. New Zealand knows a lot about the EVs. The government's been hammering on that. I want to know a little bit more about the hydrogen opportunity that you see in New Zealand and what some of the barriers are. When I um, raised the flag for hydrogen 
I get some people excited, but I also get some people excited about, you know, that I'm taking the focus away from our responsibility to bring EVs into New Zealand quicker. Your question around hydrogen, you know, we got a lot of media coverage recently for the car share initiative. It's five cars in a car share scheme. It's nine incredibly well-known New Zealand brands. And the conversations with those companies actually started from chief executive to chief executive. Mm -hmm. Our challenge is producing the hydrogen, transporting it and refueling it. We as a company with Toyota Financial Services or Toyota Financial Services, they purchased City Hop, I think about five years ago now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're using that technology in the car share trial to just get people to share a vehicle. Yep. So the thinking there is the nine companies will use a shared fleet. If those car companies with big fleets see the benefit of sharing a car, then maybe we don't need as many of them. What the nine companies also have access to are the 200 other cars City Hop have on their fleet. A really big kind of fleet to choose from. Car sharing is another form of decarbonising the economy. You know, because you reduce the number of cars. It may seem odd that uh, the chief executive of a car company is talking about how do you reduce the number of cars on the road, but it's about making sure we're doing the right thing. As far as your vehicle fleet is concerned, the average emissions has been steadily decreasing over the last few years. The total industry is at around 170 grams at the end of last year, and it has been reducing. The challenge is that it's not coming down at a rate the government would like to see it reducing by. Our forecast is for us to continue that downward trajectory come into the year. But currently in the transition, we're having close to 98% of our cars that arrive into New Zealand pre-sold. Wow. Mm. Gosh. Prior to COVID, it was somewhere around 27%. Whoa. So nearly every car that arrives into the country at the moment is pre-sold. So, so the emissions profile has been determined by what you're able to source. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we've talked about in this just transition is availability of product. You know, we've, we've raised that right from the start and, and we're starting to see how that influences New Zealand and the global pecking order. When we see kind of this push for EVs, how do you think we get people to understand that if you're buying a new car, it is a cleaner car than you've already got? All companies need to do more. On the customer side, though, the challenge is, is a low emission solution available? The second big challenge is, is the low emission solution affordable? Mm. And then the third challenge is, are we sacrificing the affordability of a low emission solution by reducing the level of safety that's in that car? I think all three of those challenges are intertwined. You can't have a market flooded full of EVs, firstly because they don't exist in the global production. Now, could you go to China and twist BYD's arm into producing everything you know for New Zealand? You, you, you possibly could, and they could possibly produce them for us? I don't know. But certainly when you look at the demand for lithium ion, Yep, of course. Uh, and you look at the production capability, like we've just invested over a billion dollars in the US in battery production to try and accelerate our development. So we're looking at, you know, sort of three and a half, four million electrified cars before the end of the decade. That's still 40% of our total production. But that's considerably higher than it would be now, right? Oh, ramping that up. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's ramping up, but how much of that volume can we secure for New Zealand? And that's the big negotiation that's taking place at the moment. Can it come to New Zealand at an affordable price? Mm. You know, like I, I can't stress enough that even with the government rebate, and the government rebate's hugely generous, and we're seeing the tide move in demand. We totally are. But $66,000 or $60,000 or $55,000 for the average Kiwi when the average age of the cars on our roads are 15 years. Yeah. At the moment, it's just not attainable for lots of customers. You know, so we've got to make sure that as car companies, we're innovative in 
car share or car leasing to make that transition easier. You spoke recently at a conference, Auckland's Future Now, uh, about the future of the city. It's in the name. You mentioned woven city, this this concept of the kind of what does the future of cities look like? It's all interconnected. It's focused on sustainability, live, work, play together. Talk us through that project in Japan and what it means for places like New Zealand. A woven city is a project that Toyota Motor Corporation have undertaken. It's the first smart city in the world um, being built in Japan by an automaker. Yeah. It's unheard of. And uh, and what's hugely exciting for people like me who buzz out on new tech <laughs> is that it's located right at the base of the majestic Mount Fuji, over 175 awesome. acres. It's designed to test new technologies, you know, such as um, automated driving, robotics and AI. Yeah, cool. It's a living laboratory or it's called a prototype city of the future. I spoke about the fact uh, or the opportunities around having a city where people, buildings and vehicles could all communicate with each other via real-time data and embedded sensors. When you think about that, it would freak probably 90% of the population out. Oh, yeah. You know? So what do you mean? You know, like we heard just recently in Australia with this facial recognition in stores and you know, how that was just... Public transport. Yeah, I guess the unintended consequences of how's my data going to be protected. Yep. But, but when you think of a smart city where all of those things are connected, it allows you to test advanced AI technology you know, in a real-world situation with quite minimal risk. Before COVID turned up and before we had this pressure to accelerate the electrification journey, mm-hmm. the focus was all around autonomous vehicles, yep. how autonomous vehicles can reduce carbon. It's yep. a decarbonisation strategy. And we've been progressing towards this future of autonomy. Now, the driving purist, and I consider myself a driving purist, the thought of a car driving for you just doesn't process in, you know, in my, in my brain. It takes away the experience. Yeah, and the fun of driving and all of those things. But when you think of a connected ecosystem for a city, autonomous technology brings the, the city and transportation and a transport ecosystem and how you serve the city a huge amount of value and benefit. So you've got to overcome these concerns around data, but the future of cities is going to be data transfer. You know, uh, we've, we've heard before that big data is going to be the dominator. Mm-hmm. I guess the thing with um, Woven City is our desire was to be able to test this advanced technology. Consumers are testing that technology today. So if they've got a later model car, mm-hmm. it's got radar cruise control, you know, where the car accelerates and decelerates depending on whether you've got a car in front of you. That is autonomous tech. Our cars are equipped with Toyota Safety Sense, yep. you know, our new, new models, where lane departure alert and actually will pull the steering wheel back into the lane if you are veering off to the other side of the road. Safety features that are hugely relevant in New Zealand today with all the road deaths that we experience. So autonomous technology has to be able to connect with people, buildings and vehicles to be able to make that transport ecosystem safe. And Woven City is platform to be able to do it. Brilliant. It broke ground last year. It's not an investment and management ego. This is a happening project. Can we go live there? Is that a thing we can do? Can we well, buy an apartment uh, there? Uh, well, well, actually, the piece I missed out is people will go, well, that's all in good for Toyota. That project has been engaged with all of the major tech companies around the world. And you might go, okay, well, what's the benefit for New Zealand? Well, what we've seen in the last 12 months is we've been able to pull fuel cells, hydrogen fuel cells that we have taken from 
projects like Woven City and said, could we bring those into New Zealand and use them? We got given two prototype fuel cell units that we put into the chase boat with the Emirates Team New Zealand, which is on the harbour at the moment. Last week they were testing that unit. It hit 50 knots with only using 50% of its power. Um, so it's... That's fast. Yeah, that is very fast, listeners. That is very, very fast. So when you, so when you think of that project, the benefit into not just New Zealand, but Auckland is immense because every team that competes in America's Cup has to have at least one or two of these boats. Given the timeframes, it's highly likely or we're hopeful that those boats will be built in New Zealand. From a Toyota perspective, we're, we're hoping they'll have a Toyota fuel cell in. Now that sounds like a bloody good offering, doesn't it? So, as is tradition on the Iron Duke podcast, we finish every interview with a very quick fire, hot or not. I simply say one thing that's kind of topical to the conversation, if you like it, it's hot, if you don't, it's not. Maddie, why don't you kick us off? Minor or current events, how about the Crusaders absolutely annihilating the Blues on Saturday? Hot, hot or not? Hot. <laughs> now, not necessarily done in a Toyota Hilux, but what about the increase in Ram raids? Definitely not. And lastly, Apple workers in the US unionising, hot or not? That is a hot topic. <laughs> Very good. From me, um, really, overview, the America's Cup. That is exceptionally hot. Second one, the America's Cup not being defended in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, oh, jeez, that, that, that has to be a not. <laughs> good answer. Yeah. And last one, given your recent trip overseas, travel restarting and reconnecting with the world. Yeah, definitely hot. Brilliant. Neeraj, thank you so much for your time. We love working with you. You're a wonderful client of Iron Duke Partners and we're looking forward to seeing you again soon. So thank you so much. Yeah, look, thanks very much. Um, you know, as always, Iron Duke asks the tough questions and hold <laughs> us accountable. So uh, it's been a privilege to be here. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. Appreciate thanks. your time. Bye.